we are continuing our series called Countercultural Convictions. And to be honest with you, I don't know if I've ever had a panic attack. Uh, I've seen them. I've helped people through them. This morning, I'm pretty sure I had a panic attack. Uh, this is weighty. Uh, for, for 13 years, I've been a pastor here. And uh, sex and sexual sin, as I think through, uh, I don't think through just doctrine and stances. I think of faces and families. And over the last 11 years, walking people through the hurt and the pain of abuse, the hurt and the pain of infidelity, the struggle and, and the, the tearing up on the inside of, of same-sex attraction. Um, this is a difficult topic to navigate. I believe that the Bible is very clear, and the difficulty is not what the Bible says. The difficulty lies in, here's where I, here's, here's where I struggle. Um, my friend texted me and was, was listening to a conversation uh, in a restaurant, and one girl was coming out to another girl that she was same-sex attracted. And listening into the conversation, this Christian is listening to how this is being navigated by this friend. She's like, man, there's so much love and there's so much grace and understanding and asking questions and trying to get into her shoes and her story. And she thought, we have a lot to learn about love in how the posture of this person is loving this girl. And she said, and then at the end it was... And I support you in no matter what you do. And she said, how do we as Christians enter into that conversation holding both the conviction of what Jesus has designed sex for and yet the compassion, conviction of truth and compassion that this is a person made in the image of God. And so the... the the tension I feel right now is that when I looked at this and I wrote down the questions that I wanted to answer for us, for us I really felt like this was a seven-week series on human sexuality. And I've got now, which time do you guys want to stay here, Tom? <laughs> I don't have that much time, okay? So I just want you to know that you are not going to get all your questions answered this morning. We do have a, uh, a redemption event on Tuesday where you can get more of those questions. We're going to have more stuff on social media that comes out that might help you. But I would say this. God loves you. This church loves you. And if I could represent Jesus to you now, wherever you are, wherever you are at, in whatever part of the story, I am confident that Jesus loves you. And I hope that you love this church and trust this church enough to let this be the beginning of a conversation and not the end of a conversation. Amen? So I'm, I'm reimagining a moment as a parent when I'm trying to describe to my young kids what Disneyland's like. We're going to go to Disneyland. And there's this like, all right, there's this, you know, big 
mouse. I mean, he's huge. His head is, you know, four times the size of dad's head. And they're just kind of looking at me like, what in the world? And um, there's castles. They're like, what? Roller coasters. Um, all sorts of like fun activities. And, and I can just see they're looking at me like their mind cannot comprehend what I'm talking about. Their little tiny brains have never experienced anything like this before. And so in order to help them to understand what Disneyland was like, I said, okay, um, okay, Tumbleweed Park. They're like, gotcha. I'm with you. I can, I've experienced that. I know what that's like. And I said, okay, now Tumbleweed Park has all these different things that you can go to. And you want to run to this slide, and then you run to this swing, you run to this, right? <clears throat> Imagine that just like so much bigger. And they're like, all right. Okay, and there's roller coasters. What is that? Well, it, you know that slide where you like climb up and then you, whee, you go down? Okay, like that, except like as tall as that building. And they're like, what? Here's the deal. God, what God is trying to do with our sexuality and what I believe we have lost is God is trying through sexuality to point to realities that are so big and so profound and so beautiful that we cannot even fathom in our brains. And sex is a picture. Sex is just a tumbleweed park to what lies ahead for us. And I feel like the cultural pressure is to say that Christians have taken this thing, sex, and we are like restricting it, and we are making it smaller. And in reality, I think we need to be doing the opposite, and I think what the Scriptures are doing is saying sex, as God has designed it, is way more magnificent and is way more profound than the, what the culture is making this to be. There's our intersection point. I'm going to pray, and we'll get going. Father, I feel uh, tension, and I want to be clear. I want to, be, I want to represent your compassion. Lord, I want to be humble, knowing that I am a man who struggles with sin and sinful desire, and I am in need of grace. And if Jesus, you did not come to condemn but to save the world, I have no right to condemn in this moment. And yet I want to point accurately to the beautiful gift that you've given us and the rightful way in which we participate. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness. Amen? We've been delivered from the rule of darkness. The world is in the pattern of the prince of the power of the air. When we follow the pattern of the world, we are following the pattern of evil, of darkness. So when we ask the question, 
And we wrestle with these countercultural convictions. Uh, let's talk about gender, or let's talk about sex. Let's talk about what it means to be an engineer. Let's talk about agriculture. Let's talk about hospitality. What, whatever the topic is, we've been delivered, the scriptures say, from the domain of darkness, which is our world, and we've been transferred to the kingdom of the beloved Son. The king is where we get our answers for life and how we participate in every area of life. What I believe that the world is selling us is a cheap plastic version and a disposable, a disposable version of life. And Jesus has broken into history and said, here's the real thing. The thing that you're longing for that you're trying to find in all of these created things, in all of these different ways. It's like we've got a, an extension cord that we're trying desperately to find life out there without God. And he says, I'm the real source of life. And so we have to start with an understanding that we don't take our cues from culture. And some of these conversations get ended right away with this comment. You can't say that. You can't say that. Which is to say, from this perspective, you're sitting in judgment of God and His design. I say this with compassion of someone who's walked through these hard situations I wish that we could have these conversations face-to-face -face, having coffee at a table because there's so many questions that you have it's difficult to put into a sermon. But here we go. To understand the context for sex and to understand not just the context, but the significance and the beauty and what sex is communicating, we have to look three directions. We have to look back to the garden. We have to look forward to the city. And we have to look upward to Christ, okay? In order to understand what sex is, we have to look back to the garden. This is the, create, this is the beginning. We have to look forward to the city. This is, this is the last two chapters in the Bible this city and this wedding that is happening at the end of the Bible. And then we have to look to Christ. Here we go. Jesus points us to the garden. Matthew 19, verse 4. Haven't you read in the Scriptures, Jesus replied? They record from the beginning, God made them male and female. And He said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and joins to his wife, and the two are united in one. Since they're no longer two, but they're one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Okay, that seems really simple and probably very familiar for many of you. I'm going to say we can find the context for marriage in this verse, Jesus points to three things, diversity, union, and covenant. Here we go. 
they record that from the beginning, he created them male and female, different. And the reality of what is happening in sex is this profound thing that I don't think we can understand, but two are being bonded together and becoming one. Diversity, male and female, one flesh union. And this is the context. Since there no longer are two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. The one that you know, the one that you lie with, the one that you join in the one flesh union, don't let anyone separate this. This is covenant. This is what we call marriage. Sex belongs between male and female in a one flesh union that is meant to be not shared with multiple partners, but in the context of a committed, lifelong relationship. Now, already, there's conviction. Already, there's tension. Already, there's questions. Well, what about and what about? So, let's stick with it. Because what I want you to see is this context is not just God being a prude and saying, like, I'm going to take this thing and I'm just going to put it here and no one's allowed to do anything else because that's the way I made it and I said so. Although God could say that. But I want you to see something way more beautiful. The design of our creation Sex is a window into how God has designed our creation to work and function, the very structure, His fingerprint of how He made creation. The pattern of God's creation is this, diversity and union. Diversity and union. Let me give you an example. This is how the garden goes. The garden narrative goes like this. In the beginning, okay, here's the Sunday school teacher. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth, two different elements of creation that complementary pairs that when they join together make up what God calls all of creation. The heavens and the earth, complementary pairs, diverse, but come together in union. He creates light and darkness, diverse elements, and yet Light and darkness come together. Two diverse elements come together to make the dimension of time. We get days and weeks and months. He makes land and sea. And when those things, those things come together, those complementary pairs come together to make up the dimension of our living space, which we call earth. And then at the pinnacle of it all, Heavens and earth, light and darkness, land and sea, male and female, diversity in a union, a one flesh union that is sex. And it happens in a covenant relationship. Now, I was at, uh, I was shopping yesterday with my wife, and we were at the outlet malls kind of by um, Wild Horse Pass. 
Okay? So if you're at Wild Horse Pass and you look west, it's reservation, it's wide open, you can see all the way to the mountains. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, now when we were in quarantine, my family and I, almost every night, would drive out past Wild Horse Pass and we would just enjoy the sunset because when you start driving down the 202 through those mountains and the sun is setting, it is, it's gorgeous. And we finished shopping right about the time the sun was going down and I said, okay, we're not going to go back home. I'm driving out towards the sun. And we're driving and all of a sudden all these cars start pulling off to the side. And they hop out and they're taking pictures. And no less than five different cars stopped right around us and everyone's popping out and taking pictures. Okay, what does this have to do with anything? The most beautiful and profound moments of our day is when these two elements of darkness and light come together in this beautiful moment that even though we've seen it our whole life, we still are going to stop the car and we're going to pull off to the side of the road and we're going to post it. And when I got home, I saw all sorts of posts that were all sunsets. I scrolled through social media a little bit more, and there's a person that is coming to speak to our youth tonight, and his name is Ali. Actually, his name is Muhammad Ali, not the boxer. But Muhammad sends me all these pictures that I'm going to kind of like put up on the screen for kids, like this is his life, this is what his interest is. And he sends me all these pictures of him on the top of summits of mountains. And it made me think, people risk their lives Like, he's got a prosthetic leg, and he's summited a mountain that's 14,000 feet so that he can be in the heavens. There's this profound thing about being on top of a mountain that we feel, don't we? That we're in the, like, God-space sky, and yet somewhere in between land and the heavens. And where those come together, some of the most beautiful scenes that we have is on top of the mountains. In about two weeks, I'm going to go to San Clemente, California. And I'm going to sit on a beach, and for five hours, I'm going to stare at the ocean and the waves. And when I get too tired of the sun, I'm going to go up into our little condo, And I'm going to look out and I'm going to stare as I eat dinner. I'm going to stare at the coast. Our population in the world is obsessed with the coastline. The most beautiful places on earth are where where land and sea come together. Sunsets, darkness, and light come together. Beauty, magnificence. Heaven and earth come together at the top of a mountain, awe-inspiring, stunning scenes. The coastline, some of the most beautiful pictures we've seen, and now at the pinnacle of all of this, diversity and union, at at the top of all of it sits man and woman coming together in the most beautiful scene of a one flesh union. And what is birthed out of this one flesh union? Life. God makes them and then says, be fruitful and multiply. What comes from this marriage 
is children and offspring and filling the earth with image bearers. Same-sex marriage. I'm not talking about same-sex attraction. Okay, we need to distinguish between these two things. There are desires in all of us that Galatians says are the desires of the flesh. You were born with them. All of you were born with desires of the flesh, okay? It is not sin until it conceives and gives birth into activity. This is what James says, okay? So same-sex attraction is different than same-sex marriage or sexual activity. Same-sex marriage, if in this beautiful picture of creation, heaven and earth, light and dark, land and sea, male and male, heaven and earth, light and darkness, land and sea, female and female, it's a desire in some of our friends, in some of our family, and in some of you that is a desire that does not line up with God's created order. What births out of male and female union, one flesh union in a covenant is life. What is birthed out of a male and male sexual relationship cannot bring be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It can't do it. It's out of creational order. Same-sex attracted people. People that I love, people that I have relationship with, Christians amongst you who are born with this, have desires that don't line up with creation. And guess what? So do I. Romans 1 describes when the world exchanges the truth of God for a lie and worships and serves the creation instead of the creator, the result of that is that they turn everything upside down. The way things ought to be are turned upside down. And it says that women exchange the, the use of their bodies and they, and, and they lie and they have sexual relationships with women and men burn and lust for one another. Their sexuality is turning upside down. And you know what it says? That it says that God has abandoned them. I don't make apologies for the word of God, but it says that God has abandoned them. To guess what? To do what? To pursue every desire that you have. Okay, we've got a problem. If I have sinful desires, if I have desires that don't line up with God's design for the world, and I abandon God and live in my own way, and I have a culture that is saying to love me, and this is what love looks like. Love is to encourage you and affirm you as you 
chase every desire in your heart. That's love. And yet the Scripture says this is the act of wrath towards humanity that has left God is that he says, go do it without me. Those desires, see where that leads you. I have a ton of compassion. And I do believe people are born with same-sex attraction. Countless number of conversations with people that have said, yes, attraction kicked in. When? Kindergarten. How did it happen? I had a crush on a boy instead of a girl. I don't believe they're lying. When sexual orientation kicked in, it kicked in same-sex attracted. We have to come to the conversation with our friends in our culture holding both this, the compassion of I know what it means to give up that. The culture has told you that what is most core in your identity is your sexuality. And I would say, false. The culture has told you your sexuality is at the core of you. What the scriptures say is the core of your identity is that you were made in the image of God and you were made with purpose. You were fearfully and wonderfully made for the, for the Christian. You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. You were a citizen of the kingdom of God. You belong to Jesus and you will inherit his kingdom. The first thing is we have to look back to the garden to see the context and the beauty of creation. The second thing is we need to look forward to the city. Paul says this in Ephesians 5. He says, this is a great mystery. After he says, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two are united in a one flesh union. He says, this is the revealing of the mystery behind this. That sex is just an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Okay. Sex is the slide illustration for the roller coaster, okay? Sex is, you know, Tumbleweed Park. I need you to get Tumbleweed Park. You got it? It's going to be way better. Sex is meant to point us to some sort of union and some sort of intimacy and oneness, knowing and being known Loving and being perfectly loved, naked and unashamed, fulfilled by God. Here's the picture of the wedding that the scriptures give us. The last two chapters of the Bible describe the wedding between the church and God. And I believe that sex is pointing us to a bigger and better union that's going to happen. Here's how Christ describes it. I should say, here is how John describes it. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth is disappearing, and the sea was also gone. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, and it was coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. 
And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. There is a covenant and a oneness to this language, and he's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death and no more sorrow and no more crying and no more pain. And all these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making all things new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To all those who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life, and all who are victorious will inherit all of these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. Diversity and union, us and a holy God, united in a covenant relationship, in oneness forever, and sex inside of marriage in a covenant relationship between a man and a woman is an illustration of that. And one of the seven angels said to John, come with me and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, and it was descending out of heaven from God. It, was, it shone with the glory of God and it sparkled like precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal, I just hear John's voice saying, I see what's happening. I'm having a hard time describing it. Like Disneyland's impossible to describe to my three-year-old. This union with God, how great the inheritance of the kingdom of God is going to be for us who believe in Jesus, is so great we can't even wrap our mind around it. And Jesus gives us this, and he goes, you know the intimacy here? You know the oneness you feel in marriage? You know the naked and unashamed? Do you know the knowing and being known? Do you know this love inside of this covenant relationship where nothing can separate you from this love? You know that, that you experience a little bit? But like way bigger. Do you understand that the world says, our culture today says, we came from nothing and we're headed towards nothing. We are accidents. And the significance of sex is it's just pleasure. And so if that brings you pleasure, do it. It's just pleasure. And if that brings you pleasure, do it. It's just pleasure. And if that brings you pleasure... It's taken this beautiful gift of God that points to the very fingerprint of God in creation and diversity and unity and covenant, and it's shrunk it down into like, it's a Snickers bar. It's something I can do and feel good, and it's over, and there's no significance to it. And if we take our cues... If we follow the pattern of the culture, we will lose the illustration. The illustration that was supposed to point the world to a better union that's coming. We will lose it.
a husband that commits to his bride forever and perfectly loves her forever and takes care of her and provides for her and is generous to her and unites with her in oneness and intimacy forever. That's what it's going to be like. I don't get it. It's kind of like Christian marriage. Oh, you mean that thing where we just use each other for pleasure? You mean that that thing where there's harassment and abuse and assault? There's adultery and there's scandal? If we let sex become that, we've lost the image. Men, may our women someday long for Jesus and that oneness because they say, this intimacy and oneness I feel in my marriage is so profoundly great, I can't even imagine what that's going to be. I want that. Is the way that we love one another a hindrance to our women? Or is it something that helps them to understand what they were created for? Women. Will the men look to your kindness and your care and your respect and your hospitality for your, the love and honor you show him and the union you have with him and the willingness to give yourself to him? And will men say, that oneness, if that's the tumbleweed park version, I want that. I long for that. We can't let the culture influence the way that we participate in this gift of God. Sex is rooted in the beautiful, brilliant design of creation, diversity and union and covenant, and it sits in the garden narrative atop the most beautiful and significant elements of creation. It's like the pinnacle of the story. And sex is an icon. It's an illustration that helps us to understand our union with God and looking forward to it. Sex matters to God and it is significant and it is not just about pleasure. Lastly, I said we need to look back, we need to look forward, we need to look up. You can have diversity, union, and marriage. You have a heterosexual, one flesh union, sexual relationship inside of marriage, but you have a twisted view of sex. You can have this context right, and yet if we don't look up to Jesus, here's what happens. We exchange the truth about God for a lie, and we start chasing created things rather than creator. And we become a slave to the desires that are birthed in us. And we then bring those desires that do not line with God's creation into a marriage. And there is hurt and disappointment and confusion about this thing. As Christians, we're supposed to enjoy and it's supposed to be intimate. It's supposed to be oneness. And yet, it is a huge source of pain for many of us. Here's the good news. 
Jesus has broken into history. And he's called us to give up the old life to experience the kingdom life. And there's this beautiful word, repentance, that involves being washed of our sin, but it also involves turning away from that pattern, enjoying the splendor and and magnificence of the way that God has created this to be. In this moment, I don't know if you've seen The Chosen uh, series on uh, in YouTube, but there's, I think it's the first, I want to say it's the first episode, and you don't see Jesus in it at all. The Jesus character is not there, but you're following Mary, and Mary reaches for a drink. She's coping. She's reaching for something because she's been hurt, and she's empty, and she's afraid, She's despondent, and she reaches for something, and then another hand grabs her hand and says, that's not for you. We are broken people with broken desires. We are not in heaven yet, and we are looking for life, and we are reaching for the world's version of what they say the bread of life is. The bread of life is your sexual fulfillment and all of these desires, and we reach for it. And Jesus this morning is putting his hand on top of ours and says, that's not for you. I told this story to my kids when we were going, it was like bedtime story when they were like 10 years old. Story of plastic pearls. Story goes, I'm going to make it really short. This old fisherman, years and years and years, has these oysters, all that get caught up in the nets. 30 years, 40 years of fishing, and he's got this amazing collection of pearls, the nicest pearls that you've ever seen. Like any merchant would pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for this collection, and yet he has nobody to give it to. He sells his boat, he retires from fishing, and he's carrying this bag of the real deal pearls with him, and he sees this girl on the shore, and this little girl is all dressed with, um, what's the fake plastic, uh, oh man, my daddy, like, my daddy-daughter brain just turned off, costume jewelry. It's the fake stuff. It's artificial. It's all plastic. And he sees the little girl, and he goes, I know what I'm going to do. And he goes back, and he weaves together this valuable, authentic jewelry. And he goes to the girl and he says, I see that you like pearls. What I have here are real pearls. And her eyes light up. And he says, now I've collected these for 40 years. This is the best of my collection. I don't have a granddaughter to give them to. And I'm giving them to you free of charge. And she's looking at her parents like, what is happening right now? Are you serious? And he says, now, sweetheart, take off those plastic pearls. They're cheap. They're worthless. It's just an imitation. This is the real thing. And I would tell my kids, she grasped her plastic pearls, and she shook her head no. 
this is what we do. Jesus is offering the real deal. If you're single and you can't experience the tumbleweed park, guess what? You get the real pearls. You get the real pearls. You're missing the trailer of the movie. You get to be in the movie. If we're asking our friends with same-sex attraction to not act on those desires, there is nothing that I could ask a friend to give up for that that wouldn't be absolutely worth it. And I don't need to apologize because if we really get the value of that oneness, would I ever say, I'm sorry, honey, you know, I understand why you don't want to get rid of those plastic pearls. You keep the plastic pearls. Those are better than this. You would never. You would never. And by the way, that illustration is not about sex. That illustration goes for all of us and our desires in each of our own ways, whether it be for greed or quarreling or envy or people-pleasing. And these desires that we're born with are worth saying, no, I won't fulfill those and give birth to sin because that is better. The oneness I experience with Christ is better. A couple questions. What if I have already messed this whole thing up? I mean, like, you're normal. Right? You're normal. And Jesus said, I have come not to save the righteous. I've come to save the messed up people that have messed everything up. That's who he came to save. He came for you. The woman caught in adultery, naked and in her shame, and everybody's ready to throw stones. Jesus steps in and says, if you are without sin, cast the first stone. He defends her with compassion. And then he speaks to her honestly and truthfully and says, now don't sin anymore. If you've already messed up, you're with King David. Read Psalm 32. Read Psalm 51. Can you be a Christian and be same-sex attracted? I hope that we answer that. Yes. Can you be a Christian and want to fulfill your desire for greed and envy and coveting and power? Yes. Acting on and living in that sin and calling it good and refusing to turn from it is different than the desire for it. How do we engage our gay and lesbian neighbors? With humility. With humility. We're all in the same boat. We're all in Romans 1. We're all turned upside down. We're all dead in our trespasses and sin. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. We don't sit above anyone. We enter into relationship with humility, with compassion. I understand what it's like to struggle. And honesty, holding to our convictions. This is God's design for it. And it's better than you can ever imagine. And we enter in as those who are speaking with the image of God. And as we treat his image, we are treating him.
and we treat with dignity and value. Where do I go to get help? Community. Seek a pastor. Seek a trusted friend. Prayer. Confession. There is freedom from addiction. There is healing from your wounds. There is the power of the Spirit to rebirth in you new desires, new convictions. And are we an affirming church? These are some of the questions that I put down here. No. The culture has told us if you love someone, you have to affirm them following their desires. Romans 1 says, that's when God has abandoned you, that we affirm you go after your desires. No, we love. We love with compassion and honesty. And because we disapprove does not mean that we hate. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, It's too big to put into words, and I really wish you could teach us. And so I'm thankful for what I read this week that you have put the teacher inside of us, the helper, the Holy Spirit, to lead us into all truth. Lord, I pray this would just be the beginning of the unraveling of the majesty and the beauty of what you have designed our life to be, not just in our sexuality, but our entire life. Lord, forgive us where we have sinned. Forgive us for where we have misused and diminished the gift and the illustration. And forgive us for how we have judged and stood above people. Lord, give us honesty and truth and compassion and love. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.